0: How are we doing, Rich Church? You guys are going to have to wake the snake up. Come on, let's go. It's Mother's Day. Let's go. Dang. Some of y'all need to get up and eat breakfast a little earlier. Let's go. All right, so my name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here at the Ridge, and we are excited that you're here today on Mother's Day. And so happy Mother's Day uh, to all of you out there, and I just echo what... um, what Dutch has just said a few moments ago, as far as uh, all of you who are mothers, all of you who are uh, soon to be mothers, all of you who are hopeful mothers, we are so uh, thankful for you and glad that you 're here today uh, on this mother 's day and so uh, we want to I, I just want to throw th- cards out on the table I, I know that, that and Julie had mentioned this a, a few moments ago as well, but I know that mother 's Day at times can be uh, can be tough it can be hard for for some of you, because Mother's Day is a day that that for some it's a it's a very joyful day, it's a very happy day. For others, it's a uh, it's a hard day, it's a it's a sad day. We're thinking about uh, we're thinking about our moms who have maybe gone on before. We're thinking about uh, maybe the fact that that we're not yet a mom, or or thinking about uh, children maybe that that we have lost. And so Mother's Day at times can be can be tough. It can also be tough because. You know, Mother's Day is supposed to be a day where, where family gets together, and it may be one of those days where family doesn't get together. And holidays can, can be that way at times. And so uh, I just want to recognize that today and, and, and just uh, want that to, to just be out there because this is what I, I know about today. And as we continue this series in, in called Chain Breakers, as we go through Romans chapter 8, is that there is something better. There is something better, and there is something better that every one of us in this room can can have. There is something better that that we can put our our hope into, and there is something better that is that is coming. It is not here yet, but it's coming. It's not here yet, and so what what I don't want to do today is I, as I, as as we go through this today is I, I don't want you to to think that that we're overlooking some of the the pain that may exist for some of you. In fact, we're in, in some ways, you're going to hear this message today, I think, and be like, really? On Mother's Day? Come on. And, and, and so it, it's, it's one of those uh, messages where uh, it's just what the text says. And so I'm not going to uh, sugarcoat or, or, or uh, candy coat or, or skip around or, or try to avoid some of these things today because I, I think it's important that uh, for some of us that we actually deal with some of these things today. Uh, because they're very real in our lives, and so let me let me start like this. We, um, I, I I love DVRs. Anybody else DVR fan? You got a DVR at home? You love it? I I, I love my DVR, and I, and here's why I love my DVR. I'm going to call time out for a second. All right, game on. All right, so DVR. I, I, I love I love my DVR, and here's why I love my DVR It's because I can schedule when I want to watch. Anything, anything, I, I, can, I can schedule it. In fact, I can schedule when I watch football games. I, I would prefer to watch a football game live, but if for some reason I don't get to watch it live, I can actually schedule when I watch it. Now, I've got to be very careful, you know, you can't get on Twitter or anything like that, listen to the radio, go to a restaurant where there's TV, all of those things, I've got to kind of avoid those things to be able to, to watch a football game later on on a DVR. But I love the DVR. There are certain shows that I watch and they come on at certain times when I'm not able to, to watch them. And so I just DVR them and I watch them on my schedule, on my time, whenever I want to watch them. And so I get to schedule when these things happen. And I love that. I love that about a DVR. Now, I wish, and I bet all of us would say the same thing, is that I wish that in some ways we could have a DVR for life. You know what I mean? Like when we could sort of schedule certain things to happen when we want them to happen, right? Like we we know that this is about to take place, we know that this is about to happen, and so we just sort of schedule that to happen. We wake up one morning and be like, "You know what? I think today, today is finally the day that I'm ready for all hell to break loose in my life. So let's go ahead and schedule that for today. Let's just go ahead and move that off the plate. Let's 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 get that out there today." And if we're all being honest, we would all say that, "You know what? That would be fantastic if we could just schedule those things, then life would be so much better, wouldn't it?" If we could schedule when we would have to go through pain, and suffering or if we could schedule when we were going to have to finally deal with all hell breaking loose in our lives. It'd be nice if we could if we could schedule those things. But you and I both know that we can't schedule those things, can we? They just happen. And and and, and they happen and, and, and they happen with regularity. They 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 are always happening. And the truth is, the truth is most of us are not prepared to deal with them when they happen. We're just not. But, but it's kind of funny because we know we know that they're going to happen. We know at some point, if you've lived long enough, you know that at some point in time all hell will break loose in your life. You know at some point in time you will have to experience pain and suffering and hurt and sorrow and sadness you know that that's going to happen. But for some reason, we always act surprised when it happens. And so I would, I would say that a majority of us are not prepared to deal with these things. Jesus himself, he, he even told us, if you're a, a believer, and, and if you've been at Rich Church for any amount of time, you've heard me say this a million times, and I will continue to say this over and over and over and over and over again. Because I know from experience, I know from, from all sorts of things that we have to have a theology of suffering in our lives. Because if we don't, when all hell breaks loose, you break loose. We have to have a theology of suffering in our lives. And Jesus himself, he said this, he said, he said, listen, there will be trouble. You've heard that before. You've heard me say that before. You've heard it before. There will be trouble. That's what Jesus said. And so Jesus himself said, it's coming. At some point in time, you're going to experience pain. At some point in time, you're going to have to experience suffering. At some point in time, you are going to have to experience sorrow. Jesus said, it's coming. It's going to happen. In fact, the Apostle Paul, who we'll talk about here in just a few minutes in Romans chapter 8, um, He's going, to, he's going to lay out this theology of suffering. He, he, he's going to, to lay this out for us. But, but Peter, one of the other apostles, Peter, he said this in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verse 12. He said, he said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. And so Peter says, don't be surprised when it happens. He says, as though something strange were happening to you. But, this is what he says. This is what he says about experiencing pain, sorrow, and suffering. He says, but rejoice. What? How's that work? He says, rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now, what does he mean by that? What does he mean? Like, how do you you rejoice when... You experience pain, sorrow, and suffering? How do you rejoice when these things happen? How do you rejoice when you've lost the job that you've had for 20 years? How do you rejoice when you've had a miscarriage? How do you rejoice when you lose a, 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 a mother or a father or a grandparent or a son or a spouse? How do you rejoice in those things? And Peter and Paul and all of the other apostles say that we rejoice. When we lean into it and not away from it. When we lean into it and not away from it. John Piper, he wrote this in one of his books. He said, he said this, he said, People, people are not prepared or able to rejoice in suffering unless they experience a massive biblical revolution of how they think and feel about the meaning of life. Human nature and American culture make it impossible to rejoice in suffering. This is true. This is true because our theology of suffering says avoid it at all costs. Our our theology of suffering says don't suffer. Our theology of suffering says that when you do suffer, do everything that you could possibly do to get away from it. Mask it. Avoid it. Compensate for it. Dull it. He's right. And he says, this is a miracle in the human soul wrought by God through his word. And so it's of my belief and opinion, and I think that it's true, is that there are many people, even people here amongst us today and in our later service today, that without a biblical worldview or or uh, without being able to see the world through the lens of the gospel and through scripture, they, they see suffering, and maybe you do as well, they see suffering as an interruption. It's an interruption. Now, and let's be honest, none of us like interruptions, do we? I mean, none of us like interruptions. Like, I, I hate when I have something planned out, when my day is planned, when, when things are supposed to go a certain way and they don't because of an interruption. Whatever those interruptions may be, like that drives me crazy. Interruptions drive me crazy, and most of us would see suffering as an interruption. It's messing up our flow. It's messing up our lives. It's messing up our day, and in some ways, it is. And in some ways, it is. But if we happen to see suffering through a biblical worldview, through a gospel worldview, then we will have to see suffering not as an interruption but as an opportunity, as an opportunity. I'll show you what I mean. I, I, I think that we respond to suffering in a couple of different ways. i just throw these out here to you. I think we respond to suffering in, in just a few different ways. The first way is we respond through moralism. We respond through through moralism. Um, and, and this is what this looks like. When we experience some kind of loss, when we experience some kind of pain, suffering, sorrow, those types of things, when we experience those things, then we look at that and we say, the reason why I'm experiencing this pain, suffering, sorrow, loss is because I don't have enough faith. Somebody said, you know what, the reason why that's happening to you is because you didn't have enough faith that it wouldn't happen to you. And so we go, yeah, you're right. I need, I need more faith. Or we think, well, the reason why this is happening to me is because I've not been in church in a long time. So, so I've got to get back in church. I've got to start going to church again. I've only been going once a month. I need to up that to two times a month. I, 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 I've not been, I used to serve in the church, but now I'm not serving in the church, so, so I need to start serving in the church again, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and serve in, in, in the kids' ministry. Or you know what, I, I, I quit giving, and, and as soon as I quit giving, bam, God got me. Now all this is happening because I quit giving. Well, I'm going to start giving again. And so we, we respond to these things with moralism, thinking that, that if, if I do this, then God will do this. But what happens when you do this and then God doesn't do this? I'll tell you what happens. You go, I'm out. I did my part, he didn't do his. So I'm out, I'm done, I'm walking. And so we respond to these things with with moralism and thinking if I could just get more of God all of this will go away if I could just get a little more if I could just inject a little more Jesus a little more God maybe I just start praying with my kids that he wouldn't be such a jerk in school and all of his troubles would go away If I could just inject a little more Jesus into my life then then all of these things will go away and the only problem with that is the Bible. Matthew chapter 7, you don't have to turn there, but Matthew, I'll just summarize the story for you. Jesus tells this story, Matthew chapter 7, he he tells this story about uh, two men. He says, there's this one man who who builds his house on the rock, and he's talking about the rock, he's talking about the word of God. He says, there's there's a man, he builds his house on the rock, he builds it on the word of God, he he, he builds it on something solid. And then there's another man who, he builds his house on, on sand. It's not solid. And he says, but then the, the rains came and the, the flood came and, and the storm came and, and the man who built his house on the sand, his house washed away. But the man who built his house on the rock withstood the flood and the rain and the storm and it stood strong. And we read that and we go, yeah, that's it. That's what I got to do. But we forget the fact that the man who built his house on the rock also had to weather the storm. He didn't avoid the storm. He still had to go through the storm. But in our American cultured Christianity, we go, "Uh uh-uh. If I got some Jesus, then I just avoid all the pain and the loss and the sorrow and the hurt. And Jesus is going, no. In fact, you're probably going to get more of it. But we don't like that part. We don't, we, don't feel, we don't feel seats up in our churches when we talk about that stuff. That's what the Bible says. And so these aren't bad things. Don't hear me when I say, well, you tell me that I shouldn't do these things? No, 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 no. We should all be. If you're a believer, we should all be doing these things. These aren't inherently bad things. But this, if we do this, if we respond this way, this makes God out to be a cosmic cop. Who's setting up a spiritual speed trap for you? Or he's a he's a faith referee, you know? Trugging down the field of life with you, and every time that, that you don't have enough faith, he's throwing the spiritual flag at you and blowing his whistle and be like, You better get some more faith. Penalty. This isn't God. This this what that does is, is if we respond that way, what that does is that actually makes your pain and sorrow and suffering, it makes it God's fault. It's happening to you because God is making it happen to you. And this is another myth of cultural Christianity is that that we think that when bad things happen, bad things happen or they're either happening, A, because I've not done enough to please God or it's God's fault that this is happening because God's doing this to me. And we learn from Job in the Old Testament that God isn't causing the suffering. Job is in the Old Testament. You want a little Sunday afternoon reading? Go home and start reading Job today. It'll cheer you up. If you get to the end. <laughs> kind of a long book. So. But I encourage you. Or, uh, as a matter of fact, you can uh, go to our website. We did a whole series on the book of Job. Uh, back in October and November, called When All Hell Breaks Loose. And so go and listen to that series sometime uh, in the next week. But in the book of Job, we see that God isn't causing the suffering, but, but, the big old but, he permits it. God isn't causing the suffering, but he permits it. And so what we see in the book of Job, in Job chapter 1, satan comes along and and it's really kind of this odd picture but but satan comes along and and is standing before god and they're having this conversation and 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 god god points out job to satan he's like have you considered my man job look at him look at what he's doing look at how good look at how good like god is very it, it seems almost as if god is very proud of job he's like look at my man job look at what look at how he's living and Satan's like, yes, yeah, I see your man Job. In fact, I see how much you've blessed him. I see how happy he is because you've protected him. I see how, how happy he is because you've given him all of these things. Job had a lot of land. He had a lot of livestock. He had a lot of family. He was very rich. And so it, by all accounts and purposes, it would seem as though Job was very blessed, that Job was in a very good place. And let's be honest, he was, especially by American standards, wasn't he? He was in a very good place. And, and Satan's like, yeah, I, I see your man. And this is what Satan says to, to God. You have to really dig into the text and, and see this. But, but Satan says to God, he says, he tells God, he says, why don't you, he says, why don't you take away all of that stuff and see how he responds to you? And notice what God says to, to Job. You See this in Job chapter 1. God says back to, to Job, he says, he says, and I'm paraphrasing, he says, no, 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 I won't take it away. But I'll let you try. And so God permits Satan. Now, trying to figure that whole thing out, I mean, we don't have time. But, but God permits Satan. He says, you can take it all away from him. Just don't hurt Job. That's what he, that's what he tells Satan. And so Satan's like, I got this. Because as soon as I take away all of these blessings, as soon as I take away all of these things that you have given him, as soon as I take away all of that stuff from him, you watch. He won't love you anymore. And God's like, bring it, man. And so if you read the rest of the book of Job, you see that, that Satan is permitted to, permitted by God, permitted. God doesn't do it. Satan does it, but he is permitted to do it by God. He grants Satan permission to take these things from Job. And so God is in charge, and he is limiting and overruling what happens. God is sovereign. That means that he is over all things, that he is in control. But but I want you to understand, I want you to be very, very careful here. God doesn't love to see people suffer. He's not not looking at your sorrow and your pain and your suffering and going, man, I'm getting the kick out of this. This is so much fun. He doesn't look at the pain and the sorrow and the suffering in the world and and, and think "This this is good in the sense that we think. And so he doesn't love to see people suffer. He permits it so that it defeats the schemes of Satan when we suffer well. Because when Job suffered well, and this is what Job, the, the way that Job responds, Job responds to, to back to one of the, after Satan has pretty much taken everything away from him, Job responds back, he says, naked I came into this world, and naked I will leave. He said, I came into this world with nothing, and I will leave this world with nothing. And then he says, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And so, in other words, he says, Naked I came into this world, naked I will leave. Came in with nothing, will leave with nothing, but God is still good. And so he defeated the schemes of Satan because he suffered well. And so when we rejoice, that's, when we rejoice at how good God is in our pain and our suffering. And so the first way that we respond wrongly to suffering is through moralism, thinking that, that if we just get more of God that we will get past and get through and 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 avoid any of the suffering and the pain that we're experiencing and it's just not true. The second way is is through cynicism. That we're that we're cynical toward it. Meaning that that we we look at um, we, we look at the pain and the sorrow and the suffering that we're experiencing as, as sort of just random things that are happening. That, that, and so what that says is that God isn't in control, that things just happen at random. They just randomly happen all the time. And, and if, we, if we look at the world and the pain and sorrow and suffering, if we look at it that way, then what that will do is will lead us to the third way that we respond to suffering, and that's through ignoring it. Now, not necessarily ignoring that something is happening to us because there are certain things that happen in our lives that obviously you just can't ignore. But what we do ignore is we ignore what God is trying to show us in our suffering. And so we ignore that. That's the third way. The fourth way is that we rebel against it. That we rebel against, we we push back and think that it's God that's doing something to us Instead of God actually doing something in us. And so we, we, we rebel and we push back against it when those things happen. So if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and open it up to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we're going to pick it up in verse 18 today. 18 through 25 uh, today as we continue through this series in Romans 8 called Chain Breaker. Um, Romans chapter 8, again, Romans, the, the book of Romans, it's a letter written to Christians in Rome by the apostle uh, Paul. And Paul was a guy, uh, said this last week, he was, a, uh, he was a, a man who at first was not a believer. In fact, he was uh, one who murdered Christians and had Christians uh, put to death for, for believing in Jesus. And so uh, if, if you don't like Christians, you should like Paul. Because everything that you've ever wanted to do to Christians, Paul did it to them, right? Like, so that's, that's Paul. And so Paul was not a Christian, and then he became one. And then he became one. And when he became one, he ends up, what we have with most of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. He became a missionary, and Paul, who used to have Christians murdered, he himself was murdered for what he believed and who Jesus was. And so verse 18, starting in Romans 8. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses and then we'll unpack them as we go. Verse 18, 4. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, let me stop right there. This, what Paul is saying is he is saying that life in the spirit being the Holy Spirit, life as a believer with the Holy Spirit, helps us understand and endure suffering. That's what he's going to unpack here for the next several verses. He's going to say that being a believer actually helps us understand and endure suffering. And if anybody knows a thing or two about suffering, it's this guy Paul. Paul knows a few things about suffering. He was beaten, he was hurt, he was um, thrown in prison, shipwrecked, The dude was bitten by a snake. Now, I asked this question one time here at the Ridge and said, has anybody ever been bitten by a snake? And like three people raised their hands. I'm like, okay, seriously, come on. But he was, I mean, Paul understood a thing or two about suffering. He had his own experiences and still yet thought that what was to come was better. What was to come was better. And that's what he's going to unpack for us. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. I, I love that phrase. He says, the whole creation groans. The whole creation groans. And so what he's saying here is he's saying this. You're not alone. You're not the only one in this room who's suffering. You're not the only. And, and listen, if you think about that, you know that. You know that. But what you may not know is that the person sitting behind you, sitting in front of you, sitting beside you, has suffered some of the things that you've suffered, has experienced some of the loss that you've experienced. It's going through maybe some of the same things that you're going through right now. And so you're not alone in your suffering. You may feel alone, but you're not alone. This is why Christian community is so important. It's why it's important to be surrounded by other believers. It's why it's important for you to to not lock yourself up in your house and not make any friends. Or to come to church and slip in and and slip back out. Hang around for a little while. Grab a cup of coffee. Meet somebody. It won't hurt you, I promise. In fact, it might actually help you. There are stories of people going through similar situations right here in this room that you'll never know until you get into community with them. And that's what Paul is saying. He says the whole creation groans, meaning that there are others. There are others who are experiencing the pain and the sorrow and the suffering. And the other thing he says is that he uses this analogy of childbirth to show that that the pain that you're experiencing is actually leading to something new. Have you ever thought about that? That, that, that what the, the pain that you're experiencing is actually leading to something new. Uh, those of you who are mothers who are celebrating Mother's Day today, you know what the pain of childbirth is like, don't you? Men, we do not. Don't think that you know. Don't act like you know because we do not. I've been in the room. I saw it. I'm not experiencing it. All right? I've seen it. That's about as far as it's going. But. Moms, you know what that pain is like. You know what that is like. But you also know this, and fathers, you know this as well, that that pain led to something new, didn't it? And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying that the pains of childbirth, although there is pain, it's leading to new life, a whole new world that only God can create. Only God can create. So the grace, the mercy, and the newness of life are only a taste of what is to come. We've yet to experience the other half of the benefits in our suffering. We've not experienced that yet, but it's coming. Listen to verse 23. He said, And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies, that that phrase redemption of our bodies meaning something new, newness. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying this, he's saying you and I don't get our best lives now. Your best life, if you're a believer, your best life is not now. And if you read that in a book somewhere that your best life is now, let me just, let me save you something. It's false. Your best life is not now. If your best life was now, there would be no reason for heaven. And so the best life is not yet, but it's coming. It's coming. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians said this. He said that uh, 1 Corinthians 1, or 15, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, 19, he said, he said, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all most, or people most to be pitied. He said, if this is it, if, like, if this is all we get, then we are the ones to be pitied the most. Because if there is nothing after this, What are we doing? What's the point? If God gave you all the very best now, there would be no eternal worth in heaven. So what would the point be? We don't want our best life now. We should want a God-honoring life now and our best life to come. I love the story of Peter and the crippled man uh, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they step up to the temple. Jesus has been crucified, resurrected. He's ascended into heaven. The church is left to Peter and the apostles. And, and Peter and John, they, they walk into the temple. And they walk up to the temple. And on the uh, steps of the temple, there's this man sitting there who's crippled. And the man looks at them and says, uh, he asked for money. He's begging for money. And Peter, and I love what Peter says back to him. He says, silver and gold I do not have, but in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Listen, to, the man asked for money. And so what if Peter just said, yeah, hold on a second. Let me, let me see what grandpa's got in his pocket down here. Here's, here's a quarter. What the man got was eternal salvation and life and healing. But if he gave him his best life now, he would have got a dollar. Which is better? Helen Keller, I love what she said. She said that the world is full of suffering and pain, but it is also full of overcoming. It is also full of overcoming. And so Paul is writing this to help us see that our suffering has a point, and the point is that something better is coming, so don't throw in the towel. Some of you want to throw in the towel. You've been wanting to throw in the towel. You've been wanting to give up. You've been looking at this and being like, I don't even get what the point is. I don't understand why I'm going through this. I don't understand why I, why I got to do this. But Paul, what Paul is saying is, for you as a believer, hold on because heaven is around the corner. And it's better. Something better is coming. So how do we overcome suffering is the question. How do we overcome it? If something better is coming, how do we overcome it? And the, the answer to that question is we don't. We lean on Christ. We lean on Christ. And if you hear that and you think, see, I, I knew this whole Christianity thing was nothing but a crutch, you would be absolutely correct. It is a crutch. It is a crutch. And it's a crutch I'm going to lean on. Because I'm broken, I'm busted up, I hurt, I have pain, I have sorrow, and I have suffering. And the only way that I get through it is if I lean on that crutch. We lean into it. Paul will get us to Romans eight twenty eight, where he says, you've got this on a coffee cup somewhere, I'm sure, but he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And so Paul gets us through this point and says, what do we do in our suffering? And Paul says, you jump into it. (laughs) That's how how you get over it. And then he says, and for those who love God, he will work all things out together for your good. And if that's true, if if that is true, If God works all things for good for those who love him, if that, in fact, is true, in light of that, how do we respond to our suffering so that we don't rebel against what God is doing in us? That's next week. But today, today the message is really simple. Hold on. Hold on there is hope and the hope is in Christ the hope is in Christ and some of the things that you're experiencing and suffering and going through today has nothing to do with with mother's day it has something to do with a job it has something to do with a with the child it has something to do with a relationship it has it has something to do with with finances it has has something to do with worry and anxiety and stress and and depression and so it may not have anything to do absolutely with with mother's day at, at all but here here's the thing it's still pain it's still some type of suffering but regardless of the suffering no matter how deep you think it is no matter how shallow you think it is regardless of those things every single one of us in this room can experience the hope that is in christ jesus And what Paul is going, what we'll see next week is what Paul calls this, is he calls it an eternal weight of glory. And So hold on. Something better is coming. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you so much for how, God, you open us up and you peel us back, God, to the roots of our hearts. And you get down into the crevices of our hearts, God, to show us where we need you the most. And so, Father, I I pray this morning as some of us deal with hurt and sorrow and pain and stress and anxiety and and, uh, worry, God, God, that you inject hope. God, that you inject bravery and courage for us to to lean into these things and to lean on you, Father. Not to avoid them, not to try to mask them with with things that will just dull us from, from what you're trying to do in us, God. But God will help us be like the man who built his house on the rock. God, be able to weather the storm. because you have laid up for us an eternal weight of glory that we will experience when you come back for us and when we find ourselves face-to-face with you. And so let us set our eyes and our hearts and our minds on you and not look away. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.